Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Praise God. Hi, good afternoon. For those of you who don't know, my name's Ephraim. I'm one of the pastors. It's a blessing and a privilege to be here to share the word with you guys today. And um, as Pastor Rob said during the announcements, we're going to be starting our Christmas series. Our Christmas series is called Present. Not presents or presents, but present. Very intentionally so as well. And um, we're going to be um, doing a, a series that really is in some ways topical um, with, the, with a, a, a Christmas theme, the Christmas season in mind, but we're going to be going and visiting an unusual portion of text in order to explore some of the, the issues surrounding Christmas as we unwrap God's gift. And so we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1 and working our way through a few verses in Romans 1 and then um, some of the other earlier chapters of Romans. And... Um, you might be thinking a few things as you hear that. Wow, it's a bit early to be starting this whole Christmas talk. I mean, come on. I'm trying to delay having to deal with all of that as long as possible. I mean, I've seen the adverts. I mean, Marks and Spencer definitely take the crown this year, right? That is an advert and a half, especially because Caius is in it, right? Woo! Our very own. Yeah, Caius is in it. Harlem shaking and everything. <laughs> definitely. And so... There's always a, 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 there's always a, a, a flurry of enticing adverts um, around Christmas time. And, you know, generally we're familiar with the fact that commercialism kind of steps up a gear. And um, it is what it is. But our endeavor to start our Christmas service, our Christmas series early, is not really even in a sense to try and compete with the commercialism. Um, yes, we are being counter-commercial in that we're not engaging and participating and reaffirming the types of messages that we hear um, in, in the adverts. So we are being counter-commercial, but really our desire and our aim in starting it now is to help prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas to help prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas. Now, Christmas is not something that we are instructed to observe scripturally, but we are instructed to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that the Lord has taught us. And so it's a wonderful missional opportunity for us to put Jesus Christ at the forefront of people's thinking. And so we desire to exploit that opportunity. Hence us endeavoring to unwrap God's present this Christmas. So, you're in Romans 1, I would hope. I'll read the first few verses and then I'll pray. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, 
Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness toward us. We thank you, Lord, that you have proclaimed, you have caused the great news of your gospel to shine forth. We have been exposed, Lord. Every single one of us here today, regardless of where we're at in relationship with you, have been exposed to the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And as we consider your present, as we consider what it means for you to be present, as we consider each dimension of that term, present, Lord, we appreciate that your desire and your intent is to reconcile lost sinners to yourself. We thank you that you reach out to us who are in a place of being unable to save ourselves and you make yourself known. Thank you, Father. Bless our time in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, why would we call the series present? Why would we call the series present? That word has at least three shades of meaning. Time, location, and a gift. And we recognize that there is so much to unpack in relation to how those concepts, how those realities relate to God, particularly in the person of Christ. And so we're going to consider today the fact that God was present. God was present. And for some people, God has been present kind of in the way when you kind of find that situation when, you know, someone's having a conversation, maybe you've been in that situation yourself, where you've been having a conversation about someone else, talking about them, sharing your thoughts, feelings, your delight or discouragement concerning that individual, not being aware of the fact that they were present listening. And so that situation can be very uncomfortable when we're found to be giving our views concerning an individual only to find out, <laughs> or you know, your phone misdials by accident. You ever been in that situation? The baby monitor's on. God was present and has always been present. This is somewhat communicated to us in a very classic Christmas verse. A very classic Christmas verse. In Matthew chapter 1. we see that there is the communication of the reality that God has desired to make his presence known. 
in a very real and tangible way. Not just in a haphazard or casual fashion. Not just in a kind of cameo appearance, you know, you kind of watch a film and all of a sudden you see this kind of famous face that you recognize and then they're gone again. And they just make that kind of fleeting cameo appearance. No, God has always been present and has desired to make his presence known. In Matthew 1, 22 and 23, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This verse here speaks of Jesus. It's a statement made in proclamation at the time of Christ's birth. That a virgin shall conceive as was predicted by the prophets and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Meaning God with us. See, many people view God as this, uh, him upstairs, the old man with the white beard sitting on the clouds, God who is transcendent, far and removed. And yet, God is transcendent. He is, by his very nature, far and removed from us. We could not understand God if we endeavored to by ourselves. With all of our trying, with all of our learning, you could do all of the degrees, PhDs, everything. And yet still never come to a place of understanding God. Because he is too great. He is too vast. He is too far beyond us. He is too other. And yet... It has taken for God to make himself known to us. You ever heard the phrase, you can't see the wood for the trees? What does it mean anyway? You can't see the wood for the trees. I always have this impression in my mind of someone sent out to go and fetch wood for the fire. And they're looking and they're looking for the wood and they're looking and they're looking for the wood. And all they're doing is looking at trees but they're saying they can't find the wood. Because really, they don't want to chop no trees down. They ain't trying to wield the axe. They're waiting for the pre-cut, handed on the plate kind of wood. Well, God says, you can't see the wood for the trees. And so let me put it on a plate for you. Let me make myself accessible to you because you will never reach me on your own. the God who is present. And so in Romans 1, and again, you think, well, this is a very, this ain't like no Christmas text. Romans 1. The, the, the same Romans 1 that talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ooh, what kind of Christmas story is that? That's a remix of the Christmas carol. 
Well, we recognize here that as Paul begins to introduce to a Gentile audience God, he begins to communicate loaded truths. He begins to communicate truths that we still today are unpacking. By God's Spirit, he begins to introduce them to the God that they are becoming aware of because of Christ and the testimony of Christ. And so he identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, a special sent messenger, one who bears a precious cargo, who is specially selected and set apart for the task. And that task, as Paul identifies in verse one, is that of the gospel, meaning good news. The good news of God. You know that God is good news. God is good news. I need to convince you today, don't I? God is good news. For so many of us and for so many, any reference to God is bad news. Don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, never do business with friends and family. Like, there's these kind of codes in life where it's, it's just one of those things that you kind of keep to yourself and, you know, you, if you're with close friends, you might kind of delve into the topic, but it's only going to cause issues, it's only going to cause problems, it's only going to cause arguments, talking about God is bad news. All the wars in the world, God, look at all the sickness and famine, how comes that, this God, nah, listen, leave God out of the picture. But God is good news. He is the good news. There is no good news apart from God. So you know at the end of the news broadcast, right? And finally, because I don't want to leave us depressed, suicidal. I remember when Trevor McDonald used to, and finally, earlier today, and they will give you like a little good news story to kind of balance your psyche as you switch off the TV and have nightmares. <laughs> there is no and finally apart from God. There is no good news apart from God. You see, apart from God and us understanding that he is present, anything that could appear good always has a sting in the tail. Anything that might presume to be good, that might have the potential to be good, ultimately has a sting in the tail. Apart from God, that relationship that seems like it's going to be wonderful will have that sting in the tail. That money, you're playing the lottery. Hey, lotto, big money. You don't even mind if you have to share the hundred million payout with a couple people. You know what? has the sting in the tail. Anything apart from God is not good. Now that's hard for us to understand, that's hard for us to appreciate. Even when we consider ourselves, I mean, I'm a good person, right? Well, in order to qualify as being a good person, 
we would have to be good all the time, never having been bad at all in our lives. If we understand law, we appreciate that time does not forgive crime. If we understand divine law, we understand time does not forgive sin. And so even our own goodness is corrupted by our own sin. God is good news. Paul was set apart for the good news of God, which, in verse 2, he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son. God promised beforehand this good news of himself through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, this statement here tells us two things. It tells us many things, really, but there are two things implicit, packed, loaded into this statement that we can understand. One, we see that God existed beforehand. Two, God spoke beforehand. God existed beforehand. God was always present. In Psalm 90, verse 2, we see a statement concerning God's beforehandness. <laughs> that's right, I just made that word up. Yeah, that's all right. In Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, from everlasting beforehand to everlasting after, you are God. Eternity is inherent in God's nature. God would not be God if he were not eternal. You see, we see and live in and are subjects of a created order. We have been created. God made us. And so, logically, it suggests that if we were made by God, he must have existed before that which he created. Now, considering the fact that God created time, time is merely a measurement of successive moments, one after the other. Before there was any measurement, before there was anything to measure, God was eternal, ever-present. 
not even merely everlasting, beyond everlasting. In fact, God's eternal being is such that it's actually difficult for us to comprehend. He who exists always. God endeavored to communicate this in Exodus 3.14 when he spoke to Moses and he said, Moses said, who should I say sent me? And he said, tell them that I am, that I am sent you. That I am who I am. Continuous present tense. In Job 36 verse 26, it says, behold, God is great and we know him not. Now that's an understatement. God is great and we don't have a clue. The number of his years is unsearchable. So iPhone 5's got a dual core chip, right? Google runs fast. Or, or maybe you're like on the Samsung jobby. I don't even know what it's called. The competitor. <laughs> Unsearchable. They send rockets into space. And yet the number of God's years is unsearchable. Because there are no years to be searched. God is eternal. And when all that he has created comes to its conclusion, comes to its demise, he will outlast. Because he is the eternal God. He is great. And we know him not. And yet this great God has endeavored to make his presence known because God was always present. There was never a time when God wasn't present. And one of the means by which God helps us to appreciate his eternalness, his beforehandedness, is the fact that he speaks. And not only does he speak, but he speaks in a very unique way. In Isaiah, we see God bragging on himself, distinguishing himself from idols, the idols that the people were pursuing. And God says, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare him with? And then in verse 41, he goes on to say, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is going to happen. 
Tell us the form of things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. You see, God is he who has the capacity to tell us what happened at the beginning. So we have the book of Genesis and the first five books of the Bible, known as the, book of, the books of Moses. How did Moses get information about his predecessors? How did he get information about Adam and Eve? He wasn't there. He wasn't in the garden. He hadn't been conceived yet. And yet God, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning from the end, was able to reveal that and preserve that knowledge in order for Moses to be able to scribe that down. God is the one who speaks of the former things with absolute authority. Scientists want to presume that we evolved. I say presume intentionally because they weren't there. And not only were they not there, but their evidence doesn't support their proposition. It's merely hypothesis, to use a scientific term. It's a postulation, basically meaning a guess. They weren't there. And yet God, who was present, speaks with absolute authority. He says, let your idols declare to us the things that are to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Behold, you are nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you, implication, over me. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come from the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know? And beforehand that we might say, he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, Behold, here they are, and give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion, their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. You see, one of the means by which we appreciate God's eternal and timeless quality is his ability to state the end from the beginning. I once heard Pastor Chuck Smith give this illustration. 
We talk about it every now and then. I know Brian loves it. The illustration of the parade. So we don't really have them too tough over here. Um, in the States, they will have like Christmas parades and so on and have big inflatables and so on and so forth. And I want you to imagine, maybe like if you're familiar with Notting Hill Carnival. I know you guys are all hard ex-ravers, so you know about Carnival, right? <laughs> and you've got the, the Carnival route, and you've got the floats running the Carnival route. And the route might be four square miles, and you've got over 40 floats. And actually, the first float starts out and ends the carnival route before the last float even starts. And so the route is packed from one end to the other of floats. And as you stand out there on Westbourne Grove, watching the floats go by, you see one float after another. And you can see that moment, you can experience that moment. And yet, one who is of a higher vantage point is able to see the first float finishing the route, even as they watch the last float start in the route. As you stand at Westbourne Grove, you see in that moment of time only what's in front of you. And yet, the one who is high up in the helicopter can see the end from the beginning. Such is God's vantage point and his ability to see the end of time from the beginning of time. And he's able to predict exactly what happens, when it's going to happen. How great is our God. And God did exactly this. He spoke by the prophets. And he predicted that the Messiah would come. And with regards to the predictions that God gave, some would say that they are a statistical improbability. Let's take one of those, for example. In Micah 5 verse 2, God states that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, you have to remember that Bethlehem isn't Jerusalem. It's not Jericho, it's not London or Berman. It wasn't the major city of Israel in that day. It wasn't a place where you might likely expect. It wasn't the Windsor of that day. It would be more like the Milton Keynes. <laughs> I'm not hating on Milton Keynes. Or the Norfolk Broads, or some other place that is not very well frequented, not very well known for being distinct and distinguished. And yet we see at least 400 years prior 
to the birth of Christ, a prophecy being given that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, statistically, that is regarded as an improbability. The fact that that would be fulfilled. In fact, if you were to put it in terms of maths, for those of you who are that way inclined, it's a one in 300,000 chance. And you have to consider the variables. So, the right woman being in the right place at the right time. I mean, pregnancy goes on for nine months. Can move around anywhere during that time. In fact, we know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, did move around. And so statistically, it becomes an improbability. One in a 300,000 chance of that actually coming to pass. Now, you have to consider that the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ number more than 300 that have already been fulfilled by Jesus. In fact, the prophecies concerning the coming of Christ are so, so many, Jesus fulfilled 29 prophecies in one day. 29 specific prophecies in one day. It is said that the number of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled is one to the power of 10 with 157 zeros after it. The fact that Jesus would fulfill all of those prophecies in the way that he did. Someone said that is like placing a blindfold on someone, putting a rifle in their hand, randomly picking out one star of the millions, spinning them round, telling them to take aim with the blindfold on and shoot, and not only shoot, but shoot and hit the star. Now, you and I know that there's no rifle that can hit the moon, let alone the star. If just eight of those prophecies were fulfilled, it would be equivalent to taking two pence pieces, filling this country from Land's End to John O'Groats, Stacking the two pences as high as a building. Marking one of those two pences anywhere at random. Putting a blindfold on someone. Walking them all over the country. Telling them to stop, bend down, pick up a two pence. Remember, these, these two pence pieces are stacked as high as a building. And they're going to pick out the right one at random. That's just the equivalent of Jesus fulfilling eight of those prophecies. And so we understand that God 
has evidenced his presence and his eternality by speaking of that which will come before it happens. In a way that is uncontestable. In a way that provides concrete, sterling evidence. And yet we recognize that such is the hardness of men's hearts, even that isn't enough. People don't disbelieve because of a lack of evidence. People disbelieve because of pride. C.S. Lewis said that there is sufficient evidence to convince anyone who is willing to believe. If you're not willing, no amount of evidence is going to convince you that God is and has always been. Now, there is one prophecy which goes beyond, in and of itself, goes beyond a mere statistical improbability. It's a prophecy that actually is a statistical impossibility. God spoke and said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, virgin shall conceive. That's a contradiction in terms. A virgin, one who has never been touched by a man, shall conceive and bear a child. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the prophet says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And so we recognize that this statistical impossibility is such that it is a sign to us that God is present and was always present. And he spoke before time, revealing his presence, affirming to us that God was always present and has desired to make his presence known to those who would believe. Because we know the end of the story, right? We know that the virgin did conceive and did bear a child. And, oh, that's, it was fabricated. And, it, you know, obviously they knew the prophecy. And so they were just trying to fit the picture. Hmm? Well, at the expense of Mary almost being dumped by her man, Joseph. The scripture says he was ready to put her away. They were betrothed. They were legally engaged to be married. And he sought to divorce her. 
and to bear the shame and to be despised as one who looks as if she's been adulterous and she was gonna go through all of that just to try and fit the picture. You see, when we consider the evidence, we realize that it's actually nonsensical to suggest that it was anything other than what is presented. God was present. God has always been present. And people like to say, well, we live in a God-forsaken world. But it's not that we live in a God-forsaken world, it's that the world has forsaken God. God has always been present. He's been there for you. In those dark times, in those difficult times. No one said that we wouldn't go through them. But what God promised was, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to go through it. And yet, you need fear no evil. Why? For I am with you. And some of us, as we sit down and we look back on our lives, we recognize that we can say, you know what, I know that God was present. Even when I wasn't looking for him, even when I didn't know him, God was present. God was keeping me. God was rescuing me from situations. God was saving me. God comforted me when I went through that dark situation. And I didn't know him then, and I didn't know it then. But I now understand, looking back, that God was present. And this is one dimension of the message of Christmas. When we consider Emmanuel, God with us, being born of a virgin. An aspect of Christmas that you're not going to see heavily promoted in the commercials and on the TVs. And yet, we can declare this God who was always present the eternal God who knows the end from the beginning and is present for those who will believe. And so the question is, will you embrace that God if you haven't already? Will you respond to the God who was present Will you receive Emmanuel, the God with us? Put your faith in him. Turn to him as the revelation of the God who was always present. This is what God challenges and charges you to do. And this is the great news of the gospel that we share as those who believe in Jesus Christ. 
we testify to the fact that we know the God who was present. And He is still present. And He is still speaking through His Son. Changing and transforming our lives. From faith to faith to glory to glory. So as I ask the team to come and join me um, for our final song. I'm going to close in prayer. Speaking to the God who performs statistical impossibilities because he is a miracle working God. He is great and we do not know him apart from he reveals himself to us. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do Thank you for the fact that we are here because you have always been. And if it were not for the fact that you have always been, we would not be here. Some of us would be dead. Some of us would be in jail. Some of us would be rich and corrupt thereby. Some of us would be in a mental institution. Some of us would be living empty and meaningless and purposeless lives, chasing after man-made idols, aspiring to achieve status and power and contentment and happiness in things that will decay, even relationships that will dissolve. And yet, you are the God who has always been there and you invite us into relationship with you. And so Lord, I pray that you would fill every single one of us, fill our thoughts, fill our conscious awareness with the reality of your presence. Revive our memories to understand and appreciate how you've always been there. Lord God, we pray that you would draw us to yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name and for the glory of Christ, we pray. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.